There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to It Never Gets Old, a firsthand account of all things secondhand, a podcast with everything you need to know about the secondhand economy. I am your host, Meredith Feynman, and I am joined by my producer extraordinaire, Sarah Lane. Hello, Mare. We are long-distance besties. I'm recording from Washington, D.C., and Sarah is in the sunny, beautiful... Way nicer than here, Los Angeles, California. I have to say, and I don't want to brag, but it is like 65 degrees right now, and I went on a walk earlier, and I had a sweatshirt on, and it was like a little bit too warm. I needed a t-shirt, so. Yeah, I'm super jealous. I don't want to get into it. Uh, (laughs) If anyone would eventually like to sponsor me so that I can spend my winters in California, Next to Sarah Lane, that would be great, but you know, we might have to do a couple more episodes before that happens. So today we're going to be talking about selling. This could be an entire podcast in and of itself, uh, the ins and outs, and I think likely in later episodes I will get to the deeper, deeper ins and outs of selling, but we want to do some 101. But before we get to that, Sarah Lane has a very important update. I could not be prouder. I am quelling. It just warms my heart. Sarah Lane, give us your update. Okay, so um, in episode one, uh, Mare and I talked about the fact that she was horrified by by the idea that I would go into a rag and bone store and buy jeans for $300, which they more or less are. And the reason that I like these particular jeans is because they fed me. And I'm a, I'm a tiny person, and so there's like a certain Capri style that just works for me. Got it. Okay, fine. Based on Mayor's suggestions, I bought a pair of uh, jeans that are rag and bone, and they're my Woo! size, on, on Poshmark. Baby's first Poshmark. How did it feel? They arrived yesterday, and so I have some thoughts. First, okay. my first thought is, okay, this is amazing. These jeans were... Uh, less than a third of what I would get at retail. The second feeling was like, (laughs) these sort of feel like something that like Rag and Bone may have like off shot into like Ross dress for last because like it sort of fell off the back of a truck slightly wrong. They still fit me and they're really cute. They're red jeans. I mean, you know, can't go wrong. 
But there was there's certain things about the stitching where I'm like, yeah, this looks like maybe a pair of jeans that somebody would sell them for less. Okay, well, so I'm super proud of you that this is your this is your first intentional secondhand purchase, right? Uh, yes. Yes, absolutely. Okay, so so would you do it again? What do you you know? Oh, obviously, I'm going to relay a wealth on this, but now that you now the Pandora's box has opened, if you will, I'm I'm going to buy everything this way forever, yes. forever and ever. Yeah, Be- because because no one know like once they're on, no one's ever going to be like, oh, the stitching seems to be kind of off, Sarah. Did you buy these on discount somewhere? <laughs> no one so will listen. ever do that. They like yeah. they look amazing. They fit me well, and that's all I care about. And again, I'm so happy. Like, these are a pair of jeans that would cost, well, I mean, $300, maybe a tiny bit of a stretch, but like, let's call it $250 for $50. I mean, if I can save $200 on jeans, I will buy them, and I don't care what the stitching looks like. Ugh, I, this is my proudest, one of my proudest moments, I have to say. <laughs> I, ha- I do this with lots of friends, and the moment that they realize that this whole world exists, which is the point of this podcast, and I cannot wait for all the stories of new converts from some listeners. Tell me what your first purchase was, how it felt, <laughs> did it feel like it fell off the back of a truck? Um I am so proud and and friends will send me their deals. They'll send me the things they got consignment or just and it just makes my heart sing. So I am so proud of you. It's funny, Mare, because I know that you've talked about this with me for quite some time. And, you know, it's easy to sort of go like, yeah, well, whatever. You know, you're kind of, you know, consignment me. But once I realized how cheap everything is. And it's all of the same stuff that I would buy top dollar for. It's like I I feel so silly having. Well, that's that's been, why we're here. Yeah, exactly. No shame, but you know what? The secondhand market, the secondhand industry, is going to explode by twenty twenty. It's going to be a forty one billion dollar industry. Uh, and it is just something that is not going away. As I've said, as I've written, the future of fashion is nothing new. We've already produced everything we need to produce. And yes, the stuff you love, the stuff you want is hanging out on these sites. So let's figure out how to get them. And then in this episode, how to sell them. So welcome to the 101 part one of two, where we're going to talk all about how to think about selling your clothes. First things first, that anyone ever comes to me, say, hey, Meredith, you know, I want to sell these shoes that I wore only one time. They kill my feet. Shout out being in your 30s and only committing to a block heel. Um, What do I do with them? So I always ask people to think about what their goal is. Is your goal money? Is it, I need some cash, I want it, I want this in my pocket so that I can spend it on other things that aren't necessarily clothing, which is totally cool. As I said in the first episode, I have continually made a significant amount of money off of my closet for a long time, and it it didn't all go back into other shopping. I used it to pay my bills. Now, that's one option. Is it to get more clothing and get more stuff? I have used... My credit balances, whether it's on the real real, whether it's on Poshmark, whether it's on stores that I frequent, you know, is this my clothing allowance? And then I, I have a great sense of what I can buy and what I can spend. 
for me, someone who is so far gone, this idea of in and out rotating closet, almost creating my own rent the runway, which I'm I'm really excited to talk about this sort of renting culture in a future episode. But I see everything as coming in and going out. Now, are you looking to sort of Marie Kondo, get rid of everything in your life, just have less, live with less? Or you have a whole pile of clothing in your closet that you're not using, this is a great way to get rid of it. Or hopefully one of the reasons why you're here at It Never Gets Old is to learn the ropes. Okay, so if I understand this correctly, I have some options. Do I want to make money by getting rid of things? Maybe so. Do I want to have more money for clothing that I actually do want? Okay, that's another reason. Do I want to just make sure that things don't sit in my closet that are long in the tooth and I'm not wearing? Okay. Do I want to just have less clothing overall and only really nice pieces that I care about? And then finally, do I want to just get into this kind of this this life here and 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 have a little fun and understand the the difference between buying and selling and how I can get the things that I want for less 100% uh and once you decide that goal whether it's a combination of some of them whether you know different points of your life you want and need different things I think that you know in general Millennials are owning less than than previous generations, and so this idea of wanting to just only have pieces you love is something that's starting to really resonate, and we will talk more about fast fashion and the slow fashion movement, this idea that you should have less, you should sell often, buy sustainably. I said this before, I'll say it again, you know, a huge part of secondhand and consignment is that it's it's recycling. It is the most eco-friendly way to shop. And so that is a really important piece that I'm actually leaving out. Do you want to do something that's better for the environment? I mean, only 15% of clothing that gets made gets recycled. So adding to that recycling economy is really key. But there are a lot of different ways to go about it, and I'm here to help you maximize your gains. So a lot of people ask me, You know, when should I sell things? That really matters. If you're going to try to sell a pair of sandals in the winter, they're going to go for half of what they would sell for in the spring or summer. You need to think about things seasonally. Some IRL stores will only buy for certain seasons. So then you know, hey, you know, we're buying for fall. Come bring your fall stuff in August. But if you're selling online, keep in mind that you will get less money for something that's not currently in season. Now, um, from, again, somebody who lives in Los Angeles, where there are very few seasons. Yeah, no no seasons. You know, it's it's a little colder than it would be in the summer. But for the most part, sandals year-round. How do I deal with the fact that somebody who might be buying what I want to sell is in a climate where seasons actually Yeah, matter. I mean, it's important to take that into account unless you are in Southern California where it is, you know, 70 and sunny every single day with no clouds in the sky and it rains one time and then everyone has a meltdown. 
Um, <laughs> you know, very yeah. True. Well, that's why exactly I, I said to you when I when I go to Los Angeles, I take advantage of that fact. Um, coats, unbelievable coats, are so much less expensive in LA because people can't wear them, and consignment stores right. can't really. Sell they're not them. in high demand. Yeah, they're not in high even demand. If they're really nice. Yeah, and I think you think about those things too, particularly you know people from all over the world are buying different things at different times, but generally you need to conceive of your wardrobe as having seasons. So, you know, spring and summer, you know, kind of hot, hotter, or fall, winter, cold, colder. Um, and that is something that that will make an impact uh, on the price point that you can really sell something. Now, obviously, there are things that transcend that, like bags, certain shoes, but but seasonal is important when you think about selling. So then it's about, you know, all right, I've decided I want to sell things. This is the right time of year. How many items should you ever sell at once? For me, I'm selling very few items at once because all I do is buy and sell clothing. So it's never a huge haul. Um, Sometimes when I'm at Buffalo Exchange, I see people wheel in suitcases. Those are great ways to transport your goods if you're going to sell them in real life. I would start with a couple pieces if you're wading into this territory, and I will get into how you divide up those pieces. But one thing I want to make clear is how crucial dry cleaning and cleaning your clothing ahead of time is. If you talk to buyers, and we'll be talking to buyers on this podcast, you know, cleanliness and condition makes a tremendous difference when it comes to what something is going to be priced at. But it can also make a huge difference when you're selling yourself online is how something is presented. If you have an equipment top and it's a little wrinkly and it looks a little sad on a hanger um, versus fresh out of the dry cleaning, you know, the price point, you're, you're, making this marketable. And we will talk more extensively about how to be that online salesperson, how to maximize your sales. But stuff like that really matters. If there's a tiny stain, you know, the price is going to drop by 75%. I was just in New York and I bought a beautiful J.W. Anderson top, who's a very expensive designer that I love. And I noticed it had, it looked like a coffee stain on it. And it was $35. This is like a I have $500 top. J.W. Anderson is expensive. And I bought it for $35 and I took it to the dry cleaner. It came out. Had that person done that first, I probably would have ended they up. They would have gotten yeah. more money. Yeah. And I would yeah. have paid a lot more well, money for it. They could have anyway. Well, it's sort of for anybody who's like, okay, well, I'm new to this world. Think of it as like staging a house. If you If you want to sell your house and it's a great house. And you don't stage it properly, it's going to sell for less money than the well-staged house. Totally. It's, you know, it's, 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 it, it doesn't really change anything about the foundation of the house, and it wouldn't change anything about that shirt that you bought. But there is something about putting uh, your best foot forward uh, as far as uh, clothes go that I, that I can imagine, especially as somebody who's buying a bunch of stuff out of your suitcase. If you look like you've dry cleaned it and pressed everything and really made an effort, they're going to take you more seriously. And we will get sort of some specific tips from buyers that I am good friends with on how you should be presenting your things when you're selling them. But yes, it is like staging a house for your bod. But also know if you're going to sell uh, different stores. Now we're talking about, you know, in real life selling. Uh, 
different consignment or secondhand resale shops have different rules. Some of them, you need to make an appointment. Some have walk-ins. Some have a certain number of items that you can sell, minimums and maximums. Uh, And if you're a new client, feel free to ask tons of questions. This is a two-way street. I see a lot of people get tripped up and get freaked out about selling because they feel anxious about someone going through their things, which I understand. Um, But you're also providing value to this store. If you want to develop those relationships, I can't tell you how valuable they are to me as someone who is so enthusiastic about this industry, but also as someone who wants to be called when the best stuff hits the floor or sometimes before it hits the floor. So ask them you know, what they care about, you know, where they're going to put your things, how they treat their consigners, and always look at the contracts. That's key. A lot of them will make you sign contracts. So you always want to make sure that you are getting the best deal that you can and you're not beholden to anything. It's all up to you. So a lot of people talk about Marie Kondo the viral genius Japanese cleaning sensation. She has a new show coming out on Netflix called Sarah and Me. We will do it. Never gets old for Netflix. Um, <laughs> so, <but laughs> and, and people do talk about Marie Kondo because her whole idea is to simplify your life, right? Yes. So, so sometimes when I do, you know, in person consults for my individual clients, uh, we start to go through closets too. And I I tell people what retains value, what doesn't, what you should sell, what you should keep. You know, I will watch certain brands kind of like the stock market. And I'm going to also let you in on what brands are currently having the highest value, what are some are phasing out. But the thing about Marie Kondo is her, you know, the life-changing magic of tidying up the book that went everywhere and made her a household name and sensation is this idea that, You should only hold on to things that when you pick them up, they spark joy for you. And, you know, everybody tried to do this. There were several sort of copycat books. I found uh, a way that made it easier for me to get rid of things than necessarily picking up each object and having it bring you joy. And sometimes this is what I do with clients is we lay everything out at once. And I say, pick up the things you can't live without. It's a similar idea. But I have found that it is much easier to decide what you want to keep than what you want to get rid of. It's like by Mm. process of elimination. So if you have everything out, you're like, I can't get rid of that. There's no way I could sell that. I don't want to get rid of that. I can't get rid of that. Then by proxy, everything left has got to go. And that that is one way I've helped people with selling. Now, sometimes there are things that I'll tell people you're not going to get any value for that or you will get a lot of value for this Chanel bag. But all of it is a very personal decision. Um, But when you're starting to think about selling and you can't figure out what you do want to sell, sometimes this process of elimination and getting really ruthless about it uh, at least helps me. Okay, so as somebody who I definitely hold on to things that I know (laughs) – are not helping me or not adding value mm-hmm. to my life, but they're sentimental. The sentimental yes. value, I think, trips a lot of us up and we end up saving things that don't actually uh, matter to, you know, whatever the future of our lives are. How do we get around that? Totally. 
for me and in a future episode I want to talk about the things that we never get rid of because there are some categories for me of that one of those things is something from a family member um, I don't care how heinous it is if it has sort of family value uh, I have my grandmother's entire scarf collection that was given to me after she passed away and I dry cleaned each of them individually which was a very poor choice because it ended up being wildly expensive and I don't know what I was thinking but they're all individual hangers in my closet and sometimes I tie them to handbags but these are things that you yeah. you you don't plan to get rid of because why would you No and if it's it have a, it, you know family connection is one another is something I buy anything I buy while traveling within reason so I have this really ugly but beloved there's this unbelievable vintage shop in Paris called Kilo Shop and it's insane it's almost impossible to shop it's a little overwhelming even for me which is really saying something but you buy vintage clothing by weight which is just why a wild novelty concept whether they're robbing us all blind I don't know but I bought this this vintage you know button down uh, denim shirt with like it has like leather on the front and some laces and you know like when you're in Paris you're kind of like drunk on the spirit and you're like oh this is so chic ooh la la <laughs> and then I got back and I was like what the true fuck is this but it's sitting it's sitting in my closet <laughs> and I won't get rid of it you know some of those things things with very sentimental meanings um but sometimes you also just you know need to need to get rid of things and while you loved some tops you wore five years ago, you can make room and make a little money to get a couple new ones. And so just really thinking through that, I have a policy of if I haven't worn it for over a year, it's got to go. That is generally a good rule of thumb and or, you know, point in time. And or if it's too highly specialized, like I have all these trend items that I've stopped buying in my 20s. I was really into a lot louder shoes, um, things that just were, were trends that had to go. You know, thinking about the longevity of things, which is part of this idea of being committed to a more sustainable wardrobe, uh, is, is quality over quantity, but also things you can wear all the time. That's not to say, you know, wear whatever you want. If you want to get something crazy or fun and express yourself in that way, not all of us live in New York City, so it's not always possible to be walking down the street in something truly insane, but totally admirable. Um, understanding the shelf life. I mean, I didn't understand the shelf life for a long time, and sometimes something catches your eye, like a pair of sparkly Manolo Blahnik shoes that like got glitter everywhere, but I wore them to every speech I gave because they made me feel powerful. And then I ended up selling them because you can't walk in them. They're a standing shoe. They're like a two-hour shoe, as I call them. Um, <laughs> but you know. I know the shoe. The, the two-hour yes. shoe. That's why I said in my 30s, like standing hard for the block heel. So, so that's sort of how I help people think about getting rid of things when I do one-on-ones. Well, you mentioned shoes. So are there certain pieces that tend to sell less well than others? Yes, 100%. So handbags sell the best of anything because if you think about it, that is totally irrelevant when it comes to size, usually irrelevant when it comes to season. Sure. Yeah. You're not touching it all that much. It's probably going to, you know. That too. The longevity works. So there's this misconception. Everybody has this misconception, and I repeat it over and over again. A lot of people will think that 
the high end, very conceptual Comme des Garçons, like limited edition XYZ thing is going to be one of the most coveted items and sell incredibly well and fast. That's not true. The more specialized the item, the more size contingent the item, the less well it sells. So actually the best selling brands are Lululemon, Ann Taylor, J. Crew, and that really trips a lot of people up. But you gotta think about what is going to appeal to the largest population possible. You know, there will always be some of us looking for the crazy sculptural pieces at a place like Tokyo Seven in New York City, which is known for carrying a lot of a lot of those types of just crazy pieces, really unusual. I almost bought this last time I was there, I almost bought like every time I walk into Tokyo Seven, which is a very unique resale shop in, as I said, on the Lower East Side in New York. I mean, they just have totally outrageous things, lots of Japanese designers, lots of uh, just nuts stuff. And the last time I was there, I almost bought like, I want to say it was a puffer coat and the, the buttons were tiny dicks. And I thought it was like really funny. It was like a special Jeremy Scott collaboration. Uh, like what? What? So, I mean, you know, shout out to that coat and whoever wore it before and consigned it. But, you know, there there are fun things everywhere and sometimes you buy them and but but those those things are very hard to sell. It's it, it's a it's a highly specific type of consumer and especially at certain price points. So, you know, as I said, bags sell best, shoes sell worst. Shoes, unfortunately, as much as I love them, are like buying a mattress or a car. The second you drive it off the lot, it drops at least 50% in value. Think about it. They're hitting the ground. Well, and they're very specific. You know, everybody's feet are different. It's, you know, it, if we're talking about the grossness of uh, consignment or the perceived grossness, when it comes to shoes, hmm. I would say that it would bother me more than it would bother me if I wore somebody's shirt. Yeah, and a lot of people draw the line at shoes. A lot of people don't buy used shoes. I mean, I'm out here buying, like, secondhand, like, solid and striped swimsuits, which, I mean, you know, I have no boundaries when it comes to these things. But, you know, some people draw the line at shoes. Here's the other thing about shoes. You can't, like, you can get anything altered. It's always what I tell people. I mean, I wear anything from a 4 to a 12, it depends on how I want it to fit. Vintage runs smaller. Do I want it tailored? Anything can be tailored. That's not a problem. Shoes cannot be tailored. I ruined these unbelievable St. Laurent loafers that I got penny loafers from a consigner who I have been stalking for years, and they were just too small. I never should have bought them. I tried everything to stretch them out. I got them professionally stretched out. I like, you know, evil stepsistered my feet in them. I literally even put fucking rubbing alcohol on my feet in a pair of like thousand dollar saint laurent penny loafers the like the the leather dye was bleeding i totally fucking ruined them ended up giving them to someone so yeah i mean shoes don't work it has to fit you you can't fake that size right 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 right. yeah um you know coats do super well because or jackets because they tend to be things that people invest in and wear a lot. So, you know, I'll break it down a little bit more. But yes, yeah, so shoes, unfortunately, but but the flip side of that means that you can get amazing shoes for very little money. That is true. You know, certain brands that retain high value, 
They're more expensive. Like Chanel shoes are always so expensive. I find it ridiculous, even secondhand. But they're rarely designer shoes, like high, high, high end designer shoes consignment are rarely priced above three hundred dollars. I mean, you can't you can't sell them. It has to fit someone's foot, and it's a very particular thing. Okay, so we've talked about designer stuff to the point where I think some people in the audience might be asking, well, but what if I don't care about designer stuff? Where do I fit on the spectrum of like the fun consignment? You know, how, how do I have fun if I don't care about Chanel shoes or I'm not going to get a handbag, totally. but, but I do want to be part of this. Yeah. Well, this is for everyone. I mean, what I'm talking about, I have always been very obsessed with fashion, with high end fashion, but that, as I said, is not what sells best or even is what's selling most. I mean, I spend my time pawing through a lot of these stores to find the designer gems, but you know, the vast majority of this stuff is either high-end contemporary or, um, you know, contemporary brands. So when you're thinking about selling, I always tell people to divide their things into different piles. The first is designer, as we discussed, um, you know, something that would be on like a Rodeo drive. But then you have high-end contemporary, which has totally flooded the resale market, Sarah, like rag and bone. That's what we're talking about. High-end contemporary, rag and bone, joie, Vince. You know, they line TJ Maxx's too. And I'm not exactly sure the, you know, product lines or, or how that came to be, but there's a glut. There's a total glut of all this, what we're calling high-end contemporary theory. You know, that was a category that didn't really exist before and has totally been blown out and popularized. And let me tell you, it is lining consignment stores or resale shops. So that's high-end contemporary. Then you have contemporary. As I said, you know, the most popular stuff, the Lululemon, the J. Crew, the Ann Taylor, the Gap, all that stuff is, you know, wildly reasonably priced at resale and consignment shops and even less online. Um, you know, I'm going to break down the different sites to buy these different categories. But when you're thinking about selling them, you know, that's that's the category that actually sells the best. And then you have the fast fashion, the H&M, the Forever 21, the Zara. Um, I saw this great meme that was like, I can never find anything at Zara. But every time I ask someone where their cute outfit is from, it's always from Zara. And I can't figure out where they're shopping. Um, but it, the idea that like, and I'm sort of like this too, like everybody always finds cute stuff at Zara. I can't find the cute stuff at Zara, but some of that stuff is already then condensed for you in a store when, you, when you're thinking about selling it. And then there are two other categories. One is to gift to friends, uh, which is super important. So a lot of this stuff, as I said, because there is such a glut of this high-end contemporary, um, this theory, joie, Vince, all of those, you know, high-end sort of Maj, Sandro, uh, you're not going to get a ton of money for them. And sometimes I decide to give them to friends instead. That's particularly true of theory or workwear. Um, and that's just something to think about. I, if it's more advantageous for me to give to someone that I know will love it. My best friend has so much of my clothing. Um, I deeply, deeply favor the color blue to the point where sometimes when I am getting dressed and I look in the mirror, I look like the fourth member of the blue man group. Um, and she never had anything blue in her wardrobe before. And now all she has is blue stuff because I give it to her and I give it to her on permanent loan, you know, like works of arts on permanent loan. Um, and I forget that I've given it to her. She can have it forever. Uh, and then there's donate. 
Um, as I said in the first episode, donation is crucial. It's important. It sustains a lot of people's wardrobes. You know, one thing I always want to be clear about when it comes to resale and consignment, we're here to have fun. We're here to save money. We're here to make money. But also, you know, there are people that rely on thrift stores. And I want to, you know, sort of check that privilege there that I am here to do this for fun and to get what I want. But, you know, I also have the luxury of making that choice. And I think that that's really key. As I said, a lot of people get really uncomfortable selling things, especially in person. And I've had people say this to me before, and I have sold on behalf of clients. um, And and it feels a little strange to have someone judging your things. And the first is you don't have to stand there, necessarily. You can walk away and shop the store. Sometimes I want to leave them alone with it. And sometimes I even get annoyed. I'm like, well, what are you you pricing that at $10? Are you kidding me? I love that top. Um, And that's their job. And we'll talk to buyers about how they decide those things. Something that's really important when you're selling, too, is to ask them how they buy. So some stores, some consignment stores, mostly consignment, will price higher based on designer. But if you're going to a place like Buffalo Exchange, if your t-shirt is rag and bone, they're going to price that at the same price as a Gap t-shirt. They just see it all as one category. So that's a really important thing to, to know. The other is, as I said earlier in the episode, contracts, read the contracts. You know, I have mentioned before I've lost some things to not realizing that my eight weeks were up. Um, you got to go get your stuff or you sign that they can give it away. Um, And that's really important. And look at the splits. One thing that stores are starting to do to incentivize people to sell to stores versus online, and some of this is true about online as well, is the higher value the item, the more of a cut you get. So some stores these days are doing, okay, if your garment is worth 500 or under, you get 50%. If it's 1,000 or under 60, 15, you know, 2,000 or under 70, um, which incentivizes both parties. So definitely check those splits. And you can walk away and you can say as well, you know, it, it's it's not always fun. It's not always comfortable. But knowing your worth um, and knowing what your stuff's worth, if it's worth more to you to keep it or take it elsewhere, you can say, listen, I'm not going to sell it. And that's OK. You can always walk away. You don't have to sell things to people if they don't feel oh good to you and if it doesn't feel fair. And some people get sticker shock when they see particularly resale, which as we've discussed before is, you know, straight money into your pocket and, you know, immediately versus consignment, which is more money over time. That can really be sticker shock to someone if you spend a lot of money on a piece and they're offering you 20 bucks for it. And it sometimes can feel kind of insulting, which, you know, those people are doing their job. It can feel icky. And if it doesn't feel okay, you can always walk away. You can find us online at ingopodcast.com. We are also ingopodcast on Twitter and on Instagram. I want to hear from you. It never gets old. It's nothing without listeners. So on ingopodcast.com, there you'll find more information on me, your host, Meredith Feynman, my producer, Sarah Lane, but there will also be space for you to submit questions, comments, and inquiries, as well as a call in line if you want to leave us a short and sweet voicemail. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.